you know the uh, conundrum when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object, object well the teaching of the Ten Commandments is the expression of the natural law confirmed by God himself and this is the immovable object as for the unstoppable force of the sex drive well whose fault is it that it now seems unstoppable did their parents never train them in habits of self-conquest were they never warned of the fierce temptations that would hit them in their teens did their knowledge of the faith lack an awareness of hell and that fear of God which is the beginning of wisdom the church has always taught and this goes back to Moses that deliberate sins against the sixth commandment are mortal sins these include masturbation, fornication, adultery, contraception, and sodomy. The church has always judged that these are mortal sins. They alienate from God. Unrepented and persevered in until death, they merit eternal loss. We need to remember that the church's judgment in these matters is one with the judgment of Christ. He said, He who hears you, hears me and he who rejects you, rejects me. And when we die, we shall be judged by the judgment of Christ. Our Lady told Jacintha that most people in hell are there for sins of the flesh. And then there's another way in which people can come to lose the faith. Reading things that are not sound. just as creative accounting is a nice way of saying fiddling the books so I say that some popular writers now go in for creative theology now reading such books is undoubtedly a main way of losing the faith there was a priest in the diocese where I used to live who died without the sacraments it happened like this in the 1960s he used to read everything of Hans Kung he could find I used to have lunch every week with a priest who used to be his, sec his, his curate in those days, and he told me this. This addiction for Hans Kung led this poor priest eventually to give up the priesthood and altogether fall away from the church. On his deathbed, a priest friend called round and begged him to be reconciled with the church and come back to the sacraments, but he would not. Poor soul. God rest him. But it all started off with this unhealthy desire to read unsound books, to read Hans Kung. I remember a woman showing me a little book on confession that had raised some problems for her. I looked at it. In the first paragraph of the introduction, the author says something like, Now that the practice of confession has reached a deadlock among church-going Christians, I close the book. Why did you read it? I asked her. Oh, it gave me some good ideas. God help us. If it's good ideas we're looking for, we're asking for trouble. We're like children who found the key to the medicine cupboard and are looking for the sweetest pills or those with the brightest colour. What's the point of belonging to a church that alone has the charism of never making a mistake in matters of faith and morals? and then trying to arrive at the truth in these matters by our own unaided wits. It's like having a dog and doing the barking yourself. 
If we search for truth, regardless of what the church teaches, we are forgetting two things. First, that we're not all that clever. And secondly, that we all suffer from the effects of original sin. And so we have inbuilt weaknesses, both of intellect and will, of which we are unaware. This can lead us at least sometimes to opt for what is not true. But a thing I never quite understand is how is it that good Catholics, people who really love our Lord and say their prayers, have no fear and dread of heresy? How is it that they allow books which can harm the faith to come into the hands of people whom they love and care for? A man who loves his wife has a disgust and loathing for the very thought of adultery. Love of one's wife and hatred of adultery go together like the inside and the outside of a glass. How is it that love of the faith and hatred of heresy do not always go together? Maybe it is that some people lose the faith simply because they are not afraid of losing it. They are very choosy about what they put into their stomachs. They understand all that small print on the side of the packet, but they are careless about what, they, about what they allow into their minds. I remember how once when I ran a student chaplaincy, I looked in the larder and saw a seven-pound tin of jam that someone had opened. A month or so later I noticed it, it was still there. Well, I smelt it, it smelt all right. I tasted a little bit, and it tasted all right. And I put the tin in the dustbin. I know nothing about food poisoning, but I've always understood that when you open a tin, you've got to take the contents out of it at once, otherwise you can run the risk of food poisoning. So why take risks? In the matter of reading, why take risks? It seems amazing that Catholics, who scarcely read St. John of the Cross, are nevertheless willing to read books by Hindu mystics. And when they've not read, read anything of St. Teresa, they'll still read books on religion by people they've never heard of. To read authors about whose faith one is not absolutely certain is most imprudent. The sensible thing is to read what will show us clearly the way to heaven. There are no safe guides other than those given us by the Church. If a child's hungry, he should go to his mother, not to the woman next door. And if we want to know more about prayer, or if we want to understand the Bible better, we should turn to Holy Mother Church and to no one else. People read commentaries on Holy Scripture without even asking whether the authors are Catholic or not. I'd say that's imprudent. Once I came across a copy of St. Paul's Letters, translated by a well-known Anglican scholar. I looked at the foreword to Romans. In it, he said something about there being no justification for the Catholic claim that St. Peter founded the Church in Rome. Well, we never said he did. There were Christians already there before ever he arrived. Yet that rather snide remark might have the effect of making some Catholics think that Protestants are better scholars than our own people. Awed by seemingly superior scholarship, they might then follow the Protestant out of the Church. I'd say it's far better to read Holy Scripture than read commentaries on it. 
they say that never before in the history of the church has the Bible been so much studied and so little read. In other words, rather than read Barclay, read your Bible, read the Gospels for the umpteenth time. I know priests who would disagree with me about this. Well, they could write their own pamphlet if they like, but I'm writing this one, and I think I'm right. Love of Christ our Lord, love of the Church, and love of our Blessed Lady, these all belong together, and they should all grow together in our hearts as long as we live. I don't think that reading a non-Catholic commentary on Holy Scripture will help you grow in love for Our Lady, nor will it help you grow in love for the Church, the Bride of Christ. About thirty years ago, I came across an article by Hans Kung. I read a paragraph, and it seemed plain to me that he didn't have the faith. I've never read anything by him since. I wouldn't dare to, for much the same reason that I wouldn't dare look at a blue film. Whatever chastity we have, whatever faith we have, these are God's gifts, and we must not do anything imprudent that would put them at risk. I think that one reason why some good holy people seem to have no fear of reading things that are not completely and undoubtedly Catholic is because they've always been Catholics. They have no idea of the awful misery of being without the faith. In fact, it doesn't occur to them, I think. They could possibly lose it. I'm sorry if I keep going on about this, but, but that's what this is all about, how to keep the faith in the almost mass apostasy we seem to be living through.